Welcome to the Awakening Project podcast. We are a community of emerging adults, college students, and pastors who are passionately pursuing an awakening move of God in our generation. Thanks so much for listening in today. Our hope is that God would capture you with his vision for our world and for your life. Well, hey, Awakening Project family, David Thomas here, welcoming you to this episode of the Awakening Project podcast, and it's a special one. I'm so glad that you're listening because this goes all the way back to the first morning, first session of our first gathering of Awakening Project in May of 2021, where we began with really where awakening begins, in the heart of each person. You know, God doesn't uh, jump over the individual need that we have for being awakened in his love in order to create some sort of culture movement or or mass transformation. He starts with us. And Alan Hood brought to us that first morning a message about this. Alan is um, currently leading a teaching ministry called Excellencies of Christ after having been in senior leadership for a couple of decades at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And his portrayal of the Father's heart Um, His great love for us poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit uh, was such a compelling uh, message that really moved us as we began, and we believe and and hope it will be that same kind of encouragement to you today. So enjoy. Well, I just want to talk just for a moment, and I won't take long because there's something better than talking about God. It's actually communing with God. It's actually you getting to connect with him. So I want to get Mark back up here on the guitar in just a minute because I would rather sing than talk, you know. And and so, but I I want to talk to you a little bit about God because when we, today is the day we're going to talk about the heart this morning. That was what we were to talk about, the heart and, and our intimacy, we might say, intimacy with God. And all that that means. And, uh, but usually when we talk about intimacy, especially with leaders, we talk about what you need to do to be close to God. Almost every talk on intimacy is what you need to do. And yet I found out most of my life, especially when I was your age, starting with what I need to do was one of the most tormenting things ever. Because... I got so focused on the rubrics of prayer, like how do I pray? What position do I pray? What words do I pray? Do I is it enough to pray the Bible or just apostolic prayers or the Psalms? Or my words seem insufficient? Where do I start? How long do I pray? How long do I pray alone? Do I pray with people? And when I pray with people, what posture? Where? How? How much worship with prayer? Is worship prayer? Is singing prayer? Because I like that much better than prayer. Can we just sing, please? And then I found that quote, you know, singing is praying twice. And I was like, yay. (laughs) You know, but I was so, and then I never felt successful. I always felt like I was failing God. So no matter how long I prayed or what I prayed or what I engaged in, when the focus was on me, it was that paralysis of analysis. And I was never able to grow in God. I always felt like I failed him. I always felt like I missed the mark. And in that place, it became a place of torment, really. And my heart never settled down to really engage because I started with the wrong question of what should I do. And really, the question of intimacy begins with who, not what. Who am I to be intimate with? Who? Long before I ever asked my wife out on a date, I wanted to know who she was before I decided what we were going to do. I wanted to know who. And I want to begin this morning talking about the heart with who. Who? Because I found out, honestly, now it really doesn't matter what I do. I'm with him. I'm with him. And it's all sacrament. 
because it's me with him. <laughs> Someone asked me, where did God lead you to go? I go, uh, in, in this next season, after being at IHOP for 20 years, I go, I asked my wife, where do you want to go? You pick. I've, I picked the last 20-some years. You pick. We're going to be married 30 years in August. You pick. And uh, they said, what was well, it God's will? I go, I'm there. It's God's will. It really doesn't matter where I go. It's me. <laughs> I'm the one he loves. <laughs> it's me. It, 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 wherever. He can tell me anywhere. It's me. It's him. And so I get him no matter where I'm at. So she might as well pick, right? Especially in the grandchildren season. You know, she should get to be where she wants to be. And I get to be with him and her and all the kids and grandkids. But my point is, is that we deal with God like he's not a real person, but he's like a stoic energy force. He's like there, but he's not a real person. If Jesus was to be here, he would be the most witty, enjoyable person in the room. He's your personality is defined, comes out of who he is. And intimacy began with him, not you. It existed long before you existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You got invited into an eternal love affair called God. <laughs> Not an energy force. God, a person, warm and genuine and bright and smiling. You're going to be undone one day when you meet Jesus. Because he's going to be more of a person than you can ever imagine. And you're going to be undone by it. And he's going to speak little things that only you and him know. And that you whispered. And it's going to undo your heart and love. Well, I want to, just for the next couple moments, I, I want to say that over and over to you. Because if there was one thing I wish I'd have known when I was in my 20s is that he was a person. And that I was valuable to him. As I was coming to him. In all my weakness and in all my greatness. Because it's not one or the other. He, I, he has the whole, I'm the whole package before him. He just got me. And he's dealing with it. And that's what family is. You didn't get to pick. You got born into a family and you're stuck with them. You're just stuck. But you're with them. And I'm with him. I'm in his family. I was this morning, I was thinking of where to start when you talk about who it is. We're being intimate with. And, and you know, it's funny that Mark began it this way because I was going to begin, I am going to begin uh, talking to you this morning by when Jesus, after the, the Last Supper, he's told them he's going to his death. He's also told them he's going to be betrayed. They're going to abandon him. And Peter's going to deny him. And he gets up from the supper and he's walking from the from the supper to the across the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And somewhere as he's walking, he stops. And he lifts his eyes to heaven. And at that point, Mark 14 is going to tell us that his soul was exceedingly sorrow even unto death. Can you imagine that? The anxiety of the moment was so intense for Jesus in his humanity. He was sorrowful even unto death. Can you imagine the Son of God. And as he's walking over, he stops and he lifts his eyes. And I'm so glad that John was able to record what he said there. But when he lifted his eyes in his most distressful moment, who is he going to address God as? And I've always wondered that. When you pray Jesus in your most distressful moment, what are you going to call God? Jehovah? Yahweh? Well, no, you would pronounce it, you would say probably Adonai. Maybe Jehovah Jireh, your provider. That's a good one. Or maybe El Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. I mean, if you're going to the cross, you want the, 
the, the, the Lord of the angels to be on your side, right? <laughs> what are you going to say? Who are you going to address? And in that, that still night, he lifts his eyes to the stars and he says one word. Father. 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 And in that prayer, he's going to say Father five times. He's going to go Father. Then he's going to go, Oh, Father. Then he's going to go, Holy Father. Then he's going to say Father again. And then he's going to end it with and combining them all. Oh, righteous Father. And as he's praying, it's like he begins in that moment of distress, Father. And by the time he gets to the end, it's, Oh, righteous Father. And he's going to pray one of the most amazing prayers ever prayed where God the Son talks to God the Father by God the Holy Spirit. I mean, my, it's as if... It's as if in that prayer you just walked into the bedroom of the Almighty where God talks to God by the power of God. And what he says there you can trust. Let me ask you a question. If you can overhear God talking to God, you can trust what he says there, right? Do you know what he prays there in John 17, 23? Father, just as you love me. You love them. Whew. Now let me ask you a question. How much does the Father love Jesus? How much does he love Jesus? It's a safe answer. It's not a trick. How much does he love him? How much does God the Father love God the Son? To an infinite degree, yes? Can we agree on that? Then how can he praise something so scandalous? <laughs> that the Father loves me as much as he loves him. See, I know you all believe he loves Jesus. You just don't believe he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. But Jesus lifts his eyes to the Father and lets us overhear him say something so scandalous. Just as you love me, you love them. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you may not know this. We just say it, Abba, all the time or Papa. But it's actually in the New Testament, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his most distressed moment, when he's pouring out his heart and sweat is dropping out like drops of blood that he says, Abba, Father. That's where he actually says it. He says, Father, in the Gospel of John, 106 times and 24 times he says, My dad. But in the garden, in the most distressful moment, he actually says, not just Father, he says, Papa, 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 I can trust you. Now, beloved, this is amazing because we know from the Bible that Moses had codified monotheism, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And we had glimpses that God was a father through the Old Testament because he was a father to the nation as a whole. He was a father to David's house. He's a father to the orphan and the widow. But Jesus does something unprecedented. He introduces us all to the father. Not just David's house. Not just Solomon. Not just the royal family. Everybody gets Abba. This is unbelievable. And can you imagine? I, I try to picture it. Maybe, maybe you don't. I hope you do. But Jesus is the great gift to us. You get to actually contemplate God in Jesus. He's the great gift. When you see Jesus, you see the highest revelation of the Father. And at the same time you see Jesus, you see the highest revelation of a human being reaching to the Father. So that always in Him, it's the revelation of the Father to you and you to the Father. Always as the great mediator. God in the flesh, He's the great gift. 
so that always you can look at Jesus and go, He's just like Abba. And always you can look at Him and go, He's just like me. He's always reminding you what God's like and He's always reminding the Father what you were made to be like. And so Jesus, can you imagine? He's growing up as a little boy. And the first, who can tell me the first title he uses of God as a 12-year-old? He's a 12-year-old. He knows who he is. He's in the temple. He's blowing their minds, answering the questions. And then his mom's upset because they went on, left him. He didn't go. And they said, Why, where are you at? And he said, what? Don't you know I'll be about what? My father's business. My father's. I want to know this. What was it like for Jesus as a little boy? And when did it click as the Holy Spirit was training him? I mean, can you picture little Jesus as a little boy being trained by the Holy Spirit? Because as a human, his mind had to grow. Even as his divine nature's contained in that little three foot three, you know, seven year old kid. All that divinity's in there, and yet he's got to grow. Can you imagine the day the Holy Spirit whispered and he's looking over, and the Holy Spirit whispered as he's staring into the stars, You made that. Can you, I can just picture this little, I don't know how old he was, but I picture this little snot nosed six year old boy running to James, his little brother. James, I created the heavens. <laughs> Or can you imagine the first day the Father let him, by the Holy Spirit, see angels? Can you imagine the, the little seven, eight-year-old kid like? Do I know you? Why, yes, you made me. James! <laughs> I made the angels! Yes, I'm their captain. <laughs> He's the great gift to us to contemplate what God's like and what we were made to be like. Can you imagine? He's a real person with warm personality. Can you imagine the day when Jesus, as a little kid, is bending down like all the other little Jewish boys getting taught? They're bending. He's got to bear the back of his neck and put his face to the ground. He's got to bear it as a sign of submission to Yahweh, he puts his head down, and somewhere in that prayer with all the other little Jewish boys, Abba emerges. And I can just see him as a little kid. He just stops, and he dares to do something no human being has done. He gets up on his feet. Everybody else is bent down. The rabbi's looking. What is going on? And that little boy puts his face right up to heaven. Looks squarely. Abba. No more bent down. No more hiding. No more religious hoops. He just stares right up into heaven. Looks right up and dares to say, Father. Can you picture the rabbi going, who, who, who are you talking to, Jesus? Are you talking to Joseph? No. I'm talking to Papa. Papa, you mean Adonai? He's the maker of heaven and earth. Yes, he is. But he's, he's clouded in inapproachable light. No man can see him and live. You're right. He is beautiful. You're wrong. I do see him. And for the first time since the fall, a human being has looked right into the face of God with no shame. Right into the face of God without any hindrance in his design. And then he gives that gift to every one of us. What he experienced by nature and by right, he gives to you by grace. Now you look up with no shame. Not because of your performance, 
but because of Jesus' desire and the Father's desire to bring you into the fellowship of the Trinity by the cross and resurrection and ascension. Not what you've done. If intimacy would have started with what you did, we would still be on our knees with our faces down in the dirt with our necks bared, hoping he's not like the Greek pantheon. Hoping he's not mostly mad and mostly sad. Mostly fickle, mostly angry. <laughs> Trying to pull the levers to get him a little less mad at us. Trying to do the religious thing, marking up the page just right to make him a little less upset. You know when Jesus would talk about, his, about the temple on earth and in heaven... Do you know what title he gave it? You have made my father's house a den of thieves. Do you know the place of prayer he calls the father's house? Do you know in John 14, but not only on earth, in heaven, he calls the new Jerusalem. He says, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Do you know what he calls heaven? You know what Jesus' favorite title for heaven is? Father's house. It's the Father's house. Do you know when Jesus was in his most vulnerable, dependent moment on the cross, what would be the last words he would say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Can you imagine when darkness, I love, I actually like to do this when I'm in those times like Mark described. And you'll have two or three of those times at least. I mean, you could be blessed enough to be born into a time when the whole world's been thrust into it, like World War II. That generation didn't get to pick. The whole world was thrust into a Garden of Gethsemane moment. Everything. But the... The good news is if you're not thrust into one of those generations, you'll have three or four earth-shattering, bone-rattling, question-everything-about-life times in your life. Where who do you call upon then? And I like to say, Jesus, what, what did you know about your father that you could trust him? When you're run through and bleeding out. When you can't get oxygen, you can't breathe, and your heart's about to explode, and your lungs are filling up with fluid. Who, what do you know about your father that you could trust him in that moment? Would you tell me? Would you share it with me? Do you know the first, what he said when he rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene grabbed hold of him, you remember? And he said, don't hold on to me. Why? I go to my father. And now he's going to add something. And your father. <laughs> Do you see what he just did? He just made a way for us through the cross and resurrection. He goes, Mary, don't touch me. I need you to go tell the others. Tell them I'm going to my God and your God. But it's even better. It's my father. And now he's your father. He's your father. The one you saw me staring at all the time, talking to, he's yours now. <laughs> you can look up with no shame. Not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of his great love and my great escort of you into his presence. Beloved, this is good news. You know, J.I. Packer said you can evaluate a person's Christianity by the degree and measure of their understanding of God as their father. It's the great contribution of the new to the old. That all of us can come in with the understanding of God as our father. You know, I had a, I think where I got the breakthrough in my life on understanding God as a father is again when I became a parent. You know, I had uh, three sons. I raised three sons. My second son, uh, Jonathan, I needed a breakthrough with. Have you ever, uh, well, no, you, some, some of y'all have children.
but uh, you know your different children have different personalities and you you relate to them differently based on those different personalities and my oldest son was very similar to me I mean he was just rough and tough and he could take pain I remember he rode a rocking horse down a slide and the first time it went really well the second time it it compounded fracture of his arm and you know, he's not even crying, and we're sitting in the emergency room, and he's going, Dad, look, and he's moving the bone like that, and he goes, I'm not even crying. I was like, stop it. <laughs> he was, but he was just rough and tough. He could take it, and it was just, you know, and if you spanked him, he'd look at you and go, is, is that all you got? Like, you need to bring your A game next time because that wasn't working. I mean, just tough little kid. And I, and I, I secretly would go, yes, I like you. Good for you, you know. But my second son, I remember us praying for a, you know, kind of like a cuddly giant. And he came out that way. My second son, Jonathan, who's the biggest of my three boys now and is, is pretty tough. But he, he was the tender one. And I couldn't get a breakthrough with him at all. I mean, I tried, but it just, it, we weren't, did any of you have that with your parents? You, you, it just wasn't meshing, and, and I needed a breakthrough, but he couldn't quite trust my father's heart. I, I couldn't connect with him, and I'm praying, oh, God, give a breakthrough with me and Jonathan. I, we need one because he's got to know I love him, but I don't know how to love him. He's different, and uh, so I'm praying for a breakthrough, and I can remember um, when it happened, I, I had, uh, we had a fasting day that day and it, and I had, I was probably detoxing like chili dogs and hunks of meat and probably cups of white sugar and flour. And I, I'm just feeling sick and just dying. Cause when you're young, you think you can eat anything and fast the next day. And, and I'm just dying from detoxing. And I'm sick and, and let the reader understand the river's flowing and, and it's just bad. It's bad. And I, I, I got I to lead a small group that night and, and I, I get home and, and I, I go to open the door in our, our house. You open the door and there's a foyer with the living room. You go up a half a flight of stairs in the kitchen and the dining room kind of overlooks the living room and then you... As you go up, you make a sharp right to go down to the bedrooms. Can you picture that in your mind? So I can hear as I'm turning the door the commotion. And I, I intuitively know it must be supper time. And those three boys must be giving it to their mom. And I realize this, I'm going into a war zone. And I'm sick. So as soon as I undo the door, I, I do like a, a little scouting mission. I crack it, and I see my wife's hair like <laughs> food is all over the place, their faces, and they're not listening to her. She's got that crazed, crazed look, crazed, crazed. When you get three kids, you have that crazed. They're all five, three, and one. Actually, no, that one, I was wrong because six, four, and two, or either seven, five, and three, is one of those people. <laughs> they're little, and they don't know what they're doing. That's the point. They can't hit their mouths, and they're not listening, and it's supper time, and I've been gone all day, and she's been in the war zone, and I know that look, and I have one thought. I've got to get to the toilet, and I can't look her in the eyes. Just keep your head down. That's very important. You don't look a grizzly bear in the eyes. You don't. You don't. You just back off. A brown, you know, a black bear, you make yourself big and go like that. You can do that with a black bear. A grizzly bear, don't you look him in the eyes. You just, this is your turf. I'm backing away. So I couldn't make eye contact because then it gets bad. I, I, I won't make it to the toilet. I'll have to take care of the kids. So I, I, just, I said, look down, open the door. <laughs> To the bathroom and as I'm sitting there I hear the worst possible case scenario where Rachel screams she goes Jonathan how could you you spilled Kool-Aid on my brand new carpet 
Go to your father. He's going to spank your bottom right now. And you got to understand, Jonathan, I didn't have the breakthrough. And Jonathan's my tender kid, and you can't discipline him. If you even mention discipline, he just starts shaking. And, and, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You can't, you can't do it. He just, and, and, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is horrifying. I'm stuck here. And I, and, and you, and I, and, and here's the dilemma, guys, single guys, you need to write this down. If that wife has that look on her face and she's been with them kids all day long and she says, go to your father, he's going to do this. I just want to let you know something. Take notes on what I'm about to say. You better come through. <laughs> you better come through. If you don't come through. You'll hear about that 40 years later at your 50-year wedding anniversary. It's like that time. I just needed you. I'm telling you, better come through. So I have enough wisdom to know I've got to come through, and yet I'm stuck. And Jonathan's going to be doing all this. And yet another reason why I have to come through is I drug my wife around in ministry to parsonage, to parsonage, to parsonage. And beloved, parsonages in them days, y'all probably don't even know what a parsonage is. Y'all formed a union in ministry and got parsonages out. But in my day, parsonages were in, right next to the church where every homeless person would interrupt you every day that you had to help. I'm serious. And then you had no free time. Any person could pop in on you at any moment, and the floor was rotten, and the toilet would almost flow through the crawl space. It was terrible. You had to keep the lights on 24-7 just to keep the roaches at bay. I'm serious. Y'all think I'm kidding. But my wife grew up as a pastor's daughter, and that's all she had ever known. And this was the first house that she had ever had. And it was a big deal that the Kool-Aid was in the carpet right where every first person comes in the door, brand new, and it's there. So I've got to come through for multiple reasons. And I'm sitting there, and Jonathan comes in, and I'll never forget, he come, walks in around the corner. And I just go, Jonathan, oh, just go sit on the bed. I'll be there in a minute. So as I'm sitting there, I'm crying out to God. Oh, God. When all of a sudden, I, I mean it like a divine light comes down from heaven on that, from the great white throne down to the white throne, and it hits me, and suddenly the divine idea of the win-win solution comes. Jonathan, come here. Jonathan. <laughs> I got an idea. You see, I've got to come through for your mother. And what you did was really, she's told you a hundred thousand times not to take the Kool-Aid in the carpet. And you did it. I've got to do what she asked me to do. But here's the deal. If you promise not to fight me, though the belt technically touches your little jeans, you won't feel them touch your jeans. In other words, boop, boop, that's it. You won't feel it, and I can say I followed through. And you won't fight me, and I'm sick as a dog. I can't take it. So everybody wins, right? I mean, guys, that's pretty good. Pretty good win-win. The, the girls are looking at me like that ain't cutting it. You didn't follow through on her intent, but it, trust me. And so I, I, so he doesn't know what to think because his little six-year-old mind can't do like complex ethical decisions. <laughs> he just is like, I just go, trust me, this is going to work out for you. Go sit on the bed. So he goes and sits on the bed and 
and I get in there minutes later and, and I go, remember, Jonathan, I go, you said we had a deal, though the belt technically touches you. It doesn't touch you hard enough where you even feel it. On one condition, you don't fight me. Okay? Because I can't handle this right now. I'm, I'm really sick. And he goes, he said yes, but he didn't believe yes. So I sat down and I bent him over. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, as I'm there, I can see it. It begins the tremors from his right foot going up his right leg. And all of a sudden, he, he just starts shouting. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've never actually spanked you in your life because you just shiver and fall down every time. And he's run. He, he grabs, he takes both hands and he grabs his cheek and he goes, Dad, have mercy. <laughs> I'm not exactly. He grabbed his cheeks and went, Mercy. Now, the reason why this is so important is that I had always extended many times with my sons, usually I would save it when they would do something really bad. I would say, Here's, I would ask them, what do you think I should do as your dad? And it's so funny how the human psyche works. When you feel guilty and you know you're guilty, you go overboard. They never say, just let me off, Dad, and give me money. They always go, take away my toys for a year, and I'll never leave the room again, and maybe get married at 40. And I mean, they just go, oh, it's like funny how our guilty psyches are. You know, they would give, and then I would go, you know what? You probably don't deserve all that, but you do deserve something. But I want to tell you a story, and I would tell them about Jesus at the cross and how when I was guilty, he bore my guilt and my sin. And so, therefore, I'm going to give mercy to you today, and we'd go out and get ice cream and come back. And, um, but I would, always add, I would always introduce it to them. I never had them dare to ask me. I brought it up then. And so when he grabbed his little cheeks and screamed, Mercy! I knew I was in a divine moment for my son because could he depend upon the father's love for mercy when he asked? When he got to dictate the engagement and so at that moment I stopped and I realized okay I'm in a divine moment and I don't know how I stumbled into this but I, I said Jonathan I will but on two conditions are you really sorry I mean your mom this is the only carpet she's ever had I drug her around to the worst places ever this was her first house. Do you know, this is all she's ever had as growing up. And he, go, and, and he goes, yes. And I go, the second thing is, if I give you mercy, I get to hold you till I'm done. I get to hold you as long as I want until I'm done. He didn't quite understand that, and I didn't quite understand it. All I knew is my son really didn't trust my love. I needed a breakthrough. And as a father, that's the worst thing you can think of is that your son doesn't actually trust you, love him. And that because of the personality conflicts, you can't find each other. And I said, I get to hold you as long as I want till I'm done. And I went over and I, y'all don't know this, but phones back in like the Cro-Magna days plugged into the wall. And they had these long cords on them. But, so I unplugged it from the wall. Because I knew the phone would ring, I would be disrupted. I walked over and I locked the door. And I laid back on the bed. And I pulled him onto my chest. And as I laid on the bed, the first couple minutes, he was like. <laughs> he just was squirmy. He couldn't take. He was like. And I go, no. You said till I'm done. Till I'm done. And then about five minutes or ten minutes, I don't know. It, it honestly seemed like hours and hours. It was probably only 30 to 40 minutes in reality. 
But at some point, I re- I'll never forget, he went from this until he just gave way. And at that point, the love of the Father came upon me. He said, Alan, you work so hard. You strive so hard. You perform so hard to earn my love. And all I ever wanted to do was hold you till I'm done. And I realized in my distorted psyche, I had withheld from my father the one thing he wanted, which was my trust in his love. And I couldn't get the breakthrough until I did. He said, you work so hard. I fear we work so hard to get in a room we're already in. And the one thing that's working for us is his love. It's not my resolve. I've lived long enough to know it's not my resolve. It's his grace. His mercy. And I remember I, when I got up from there, I'm undone. And all I know is Jonathan won't let go of my hand. And we had to go to small group ministry that night. I didn't want to go. Just being honest, that's the last place I wanted to go, but I was the leader. So I had to go. Anybody ever been in that position? You're like, dang it, I lead the small group. I can't cancel. Oh, gosh. So I had to go. And I went, I went to take him down to the basement where the kids and were as one of us would volunteer to work with the kids while the others were having the adults were having the group and and um, he wouldn't let go of my hand and all night for several hours he just sat there by me with the adults he just held my hand and then about two weeks later he came up he goes dad would you do that hold me thing again <laughs> I think I think God did it through him more for me <laughs> than for him You see, I don't think we truly know. I don't know if you've truly rested in the finished work of Jesus. I don't know if you truly know how much the Father has loved you. And that he's provided you an access through the blood of Jesus and purchased And he's longing to draw you near. So as we examine our hearts, the first thing I would go is like, have you relinquished your right to withhold your love from the Father? Have you just, are you still doing this in your devotional time? You know what that is, right? And I remember the Father said, Alan, just come in. In the first 30 seconds, just settled it. Thank you for the cross. Thank you. And if you bring anything up in me, I'll confess it and receive forgiveness. And I'll never forget you. He said, Alan, you know what? All you do when you come to me in your devotional time, it's mostly about your sin issues. How bad you're doing or either how good you imagine you're doing. You ain't doing so good if you could see the whole picture. He goes, when can we talk about the good stuff? Me. If not, you'll get to heaven. And all we've talked about is your sin life the whole time. Said we hardly know each other. When can we get on with the good stuff? Me. (laughs) When can we come in and talk about me? And let my love transform you. 
We love him, John said, because he what? First loved us. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice. So here's what I'd like to do this morning as we sing, as we go back into a song. Are you still squirming? Or have you relinquished? But you don't know what I've done, Alan. He does, and he loves you. But you don't know what I did last night. He does, and he loves you. The only way you're going to change is to give way. Awakening for me is when I fully yielded that God's really as wonderful as he said he is. And in that moment, life began. Because that, my heart, let me tell you something. You'll never awaken to the purposes of God with a locked up heart. You can go your whole life doing religious things with a locked up heart. But can I tell you how much joy it is to live with a free heart before God? Where you walk with him. Where friendship is more than an idea. It's a reality. Where you walk away and whether your devotional was really that great this morning. Mine wasn't so great this morning. Or not, you were with him and it's still him and you. And when you get sent on a new ministry assignment, it's still him and you. And when you're 70, it's still him and you. And when you're 100 in your rocking chair, it's still him and you. Or whether you're like me last August with COVID thinking I'm dying it was still him and me. As I was laying there, I couldn't get breath. And all I kept hearing was, I hold you in the palm of my hand. And nothing will take you away from me. And all I could say was, Father. Father. And I knew he was with me. Whether I lived or died, I was with him. And those who believe in him will never die. And I went, oh my gosh. This is the secret to life. Is you. And so I want us to bow our heads just for a moment. Wait, can I tell you one more thing? Just one more. I'm almost done. You won't have to hear from me, but one more time the whole week. Just one more thing. Do you know what I do with my students to help get in touch with this reality? For a month, I will have them pray only one word in their prayer time. Father. Father. They can Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy. But they're only allowed to say out loud one word. And you know what happens when they do that? When you remove all the language of your performance before God. When you're only allowed to say one name, your true thoughts of what you really think about him begin to emerge. How little you trust him. How much of a shrewd judge you see him. How unlike of a father all the issues begin to emerge and you have to just begin to give way. He doesn't act like a father to you. He is the very essence of a father, a tender father, a kind father. More kind than your best father on earth. He is better. I would encourage you. And then if you really want to do something, just practice instead of closing your eyes. Just lift your eyes to heaven. Look him right in his beautiful countenance and just whisper, Father. And try this. A couple days into it, walk up to somebody. He's my father. He's my father. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, you pour out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, not by our performance. But because of your sheer grace, and I ask for us today, God, that you would awaken us to how great the Father's love for us. How unending this beautiful treasure of your heart. Oh, beloved, the only good thing about Christianity is him. And he promises to take all things and work them for a good.
that even in this generation, even in this time of shaking, he would form the greatest love in the human heart because of the pressure. We said it last night, but just give way to your own. Give, listen, give way to who God says he really is. Invite him now. Say, Father, fill my heart with your love. I don't want to be restless. I want to rest in your love. I want the very spirit of adoption by which I cry, Abba, and mean it. And not feel like you're foreign and distant and stoic and out there. I want to say it. I want it to move my heart. Here I am, Father. Fill me with your love. Just talk to him now. Father, fill me with your love. Hold me till I'm done. Love me into holiness. Hold me as your beloved into righteousness. Let grace do its good work. Tell me I'm yours. I really blew it yesterday, last night, this week. It's been a hard year. I have many worries, but it's your good pleasure to give me the kingdom. You're my father. Do it. Do it. Do it. Beloved, and there's good news. The love of the Father poured into your heart isn't dependent on your experience of an earthly father. The Holy Spirit pours it out. So ask him right now. Say, pour out your love into my heart. Ask him, pour out your love. Fill me. How deep the Father's love for us. Come. Lord, I ask this week, let a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and love fill our hearts. I want to be awakened to Him. I want to be awakened to you. Come to me. Come to me. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Project podcast. We're an ever-growing community of people excited about the next move of God in our generation. If you have any friends who fit this description, feel free to pass along the conversation to them. We would love to invite them into this community. Thanks so much, and see you next time.